You are listening to audio from Western Meadows Baptist Church. Here at WMBC, we are disciples of Jesus who make disciples through the teaching of Scripture, prayer, and living together in community. If you would like to listen to more, go to our Apple Podcasts or to our website, wmbc.church. Please do not edit, copy, or sell this material without prior permission of WMBC. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to... uh our next episode of our midweek teaching, midweek discussion um, over social justice, the social justice movement, um, however, um, however you want to call it. Um, we're discussing that whole that whole branch of of of, of topics and issues, um, which, as we said last week, is um, is by no means a controversial topic <laughs> at all. Um, so no no landmines here. Um, you know, just just happy-go-lucky conversation, right? That's right. <laughs> so, Super relaxed. And I am uh, joined with Jace, joined by Jace Hammock. Um, so he is, uh, as we as we said last week, um, the one who has uh, been doing kind of a deep dive into this topic um, um, because we should, as we saw last week, uh, want to be a people who do. Mm-hmm. Justice, um, who do act justly in the world, right? Um, and so, and so, Jace has been uh, diving into some of these um, these different words and terms that we keep hearing today, like social justice and social justice movement, social justice warriors, critical race theory, intersectionality, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and so, but we started out. Last week, um, as we said, not really, not really diving into those things yeah. specifically, uh, but instead we examined the scriptures. Right, we pulled out verses from the Old Testament, verses from the New Testament, uh, from the Gospels, from the Epistles. Right, um, and we came away with a couple of points. <clears throat> so we saw that the overall kind of theme of Scripture, when it talks about justice, is that justice is a main concern, if not the main concern, for God and His people. Right, He. He expects us to act justly. Second, this justice is not just legal or social, but permeates and is expected in every aspect of life, right? Even telling the truth or not stealing or... Exactly. Respecting and honoring your parents. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord, third, places a particular emphasis upon our justice for the poor, the fatherless, the widows, a.k.a. the people, um, especially back in uh, the ancient world and, and still today, uh, that were the, the least able to defend themselves, the least able to take care of themselves, right? And so the, so as we as God's people have a particular call uh, to take care for them, right? Most vulnerable, yeah. The most vulnerable in society. Regardless of ethnicity or background. Exactly. And then for that justice and righteousness are almost synonymous in Scripture, right? Um, so to do to act justly is uh, in, is in Scripture almost almost one in the same as acting rightly, mm-hmm. as doing the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, acting righteously before God and before man. And so we ended that episode uh, with the very big question of well, if the Bible calls us to justice, um, if it calls us to act justly, um, then why would we have any hesitation about supporting the whole social justice movement? Why would we have any hesitation about subscribing to critical race theory when it says that it's all about justice, right? Why would we, why would we have any problems with intersectionality, with Black Lives Matter and all mm-hmm. these movements, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, you said last week that 
we should have a lot of hesitancy with uh, mm-hmm. with subscribing to those to those different terminologies. Uh, and in fact, we should probably just outright deny them, right? Right. <laughs> and so, right. or stay away from them in different ways. So we said that that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Right. Um, and so, and, and kind of as we finished last week, it was Cole and I were both finishing and, and discussing and wrapping things up and answering that question and thinking about it based upon what Cole and I know and what I've I've dived into or dove into. Um, uh, as as Vadi Bakken Jr. points out, and James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose in their book, uh, Cynical Theories, are just talking about how these terms are very appealing but they kind of speak a different language. Uh, they have different definitions for everyday terms that most people support, most people agree with, and most people say, hey, yeah, we should be about justice within society. We should be about all these things. Black lives do matter. Um, but as we're going to dive into today, of uh, thinking about the different things, but a couple of things But before we do, one point of why um, we may not or should not uh, be on board in support of the current social justice movement and all these things. Uh, kind of going to briefly hit on it, but we're going to see it later on as we break down Black Lives Matter, the organization. Uh, the current concept of social justice is incompatible and sometimes a direct attack on biblical Christianity and everything the Bible teaches. We, Like I said, we will address this later, and we'll, this will kind of be fleshed out when we talk about the organization Black Lives Matter and how they themselves are, you can see that there's a, um, a, um, a an attack on Christianity or, or the principles of the gospel and scripture. But for now, this here, um, I'm going to quote um, James Lindsay, and as we said last week, he's an atheist, doesn't, isn't, isn't a Christian isn't within the church, isn't even a Catholic or anything religious at all. Uh, but this is a warning to, from him to organizations, to churches about critical race theory, about the woke culture. He says, for the foreseeable f- future, online outrage mobs are going to happen, and they will eventually target your organization. Your only chance of resisting them is to maintain a positive, anti-fragile, team-oriented, oriented, I think I spelled that wrong, internal culture that acts as a counterbalance that gets you through the storm. That requires making use of organizational leadership to cultivate the right internal values, broadly liberal and anti-victimhood, and to treat them like a condition of employment or participation in your organization. Then you can stand against this obnoxious pressure and keep fulfilling your organization's missions and purposes as a team. And that was from James Lindsay in an article he put out, How Your Organization Can Resist Woke Social Pressure. And then Vadi Bakum Jr. also quoted Lindsay in his book Fault Lines, who once was no fan of the church and considered himself an angry atheist. Um, but he said this one time, he said, If I was still an angry atheist and wanted to destroy the church, I'd make him woke. <laughs> so he himself, who is not a Christian, who does not have this, uh, some people would say, a, a bias from a Christian. Yeah. Um, he himself sees the, as he put it in his own words, the obnoxious pressure mm-hmm. of the social justice movement. Um, he sees the dangers and the destructiveness of it. And he says, hey, if I myself was an angry atheist and wanted to destroy the church, I would do exactly what they're doing. Yeah. I would try to make them woke. 
<laughs> and unfortunately, as we'll talk about in a later episode, that has happened in yeah. some ways within the church already. But lastly, not only an attack on the Christian church, mm. but also on most of the basic principles of what we hold to in the United States, what the founding principles of the United States of democracy and liberty and freedom of speech and freedom of press and freedom of of private property or and, and, and the ideas of the Enlightenment and empirical science and Western civilization. Lindsay and Pluck Rose in their book Cynical Theories claim we have reached a point in history where the liberalism and modernity at the heart of Western civilization are at a great risk on the level of the ideas that sustain them. The precise nature of this threat is complicated. As we've already talked about, this whole system, this whole movement uh, and ideology is complex and sometimes complicated to describe or define. Mm -hmm. As it arises, going back to the quote, as it arises from at least two overwhelming pressures, one revolutionary and the other reactionary, that are waging war with each other over which illiberal direction our Saudis should be dragged. And then they go on to describe those two movements or two ideologies. One, the revolutionary one, the social justice movement one, the far left progressive one, uh, social crusaders, uh, who, as Bauckham Jr., Vadi Bauckham points out, calls it as social justice warriors. Mm -hmm. But Lindsay and Pluckrose basically say that these people on the far left, progressive social crusaders, say they're the only ones who are championing social and moral progress through revolutionary means. And as we will get into this episode, we'll see kind of where that comes from, of this revolutionary means mm -hmm. and, and flipping society on, on its head. They also do so through authoritarian ideology, which is ironic because... Um, These are the anti-fascists. Yeah, anti-fascists. <laughs> and, and it's also ironic because Lindsay and Pluckrose say that on the far right... Mm -hmm. Uh, they're also trying to use somewhat of authoritarian methods. Uh, on the far right, populist movement for liberalism mm -hmm. and democracy against progressivism and globalism. They say, um, and this may be up for debate as well, but especially on the far, far right, turning to dictators or strong men who could maintain and preserve Western values. And so, and, and kind of as Bakken puts in his, he uses the earthquake analogy of fault lines you have these two extreme sides and the one that we're mainly talking about mm -hmm. and the one that Lindsay and Pluckrose mainly talk about they do kind of address that far right populist movement mm -hmm. but the one that they talk about in their book of cynical theories they're addressing the far left progressivism and postmodernism yeah. and that ideology um, but no matter what we do have two sides mm -hmm. that are competing in each other and then a lot of us are in the middle of like can we can we just have a discussion? Can we talk about these things? Can we not just yeah. jump to one pit or the other, um, or um, one mm. extreme or the other? Mm. But um, it is really easy to do. It is. Um, there's a, um, a book uh, that uh, called "Live Not by Lies" by um, Rod Dreher, um, and he talks and he gives an example in there. Um, so the book is mainly about about the the warning of communism, of um, of, of of retelling stories of of the communism and and that kind of social justice movement that goes in there. But he gives one story of, of, um, of, a, of a man who lived under uh, Nazism, you mm -hmm. know, which, is, which we would classify as, that as, the, as a far-right movement, mm -hmm. you know, as that fascist movement and all that kind of stuff. And he became, and he once supported the Nazis, 
threw his lot in with the Nazis, became disillusioned, right, when that, when that ended up not fixing society as he thought it would, and so then ended up, uh, ended up moving to another Eastern European country, ended up throwing his lot in uh, with communists, mm-hmm. and thought, you know, well, if the far right didn't work, well, the far left will work, right? Yep. And then ended up seeing that communism also fell apart <laughs> as well, right? So this guy, so this guy threw his lot in with both of them, right? right. He be he when 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 the far right disillusioned, uh, when when that disillusioned him, right? He threw his lot in with the with the far left, and turns out both of them killed millions of people. So. Yeah. And I think that I, I thought that was an interesting uh, point that they made that Lindsay and Pluckrose pointed out that they weren't it wasn't just one sided that their argument isn't one sided because I know a lot of people might accuse Vadi Bakum in his book of being one sided he's a Christian and he wants to uphold Western values or whatever but Lindsay and and Pluckrose are trying to expose like hey there are these two extremes and we're trying mm-hmm. to look at it from all sides uh, and I thought that was interesting that they are like. Yeah. The people on the far right mm-hmm. may agree with some people in the middle of like, hey, these Western values are important, and 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 of 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 the values of like free speech and and um, yep. capitalism and stuff like that. And some people on the far far right might agree with capitalism uh, and and agree with Western values yeah. that are important or things of the Enlightenment. But he, they point out that both sides, the far mm-hmm. right and the far left, are using basically the same means. Yeah, authoritarian means. Yeah, a lot of times, the two extremes often do come back together. Come back together and meet and 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 use a lot of the same yep. the same methods and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think and that's then, interesting. So and then with that, Lindsay and Pluckrose also say they say that all this flows from the problem of postmodernism. Mm-hmm which we'll kind of tie in into next episode. Um, but a lot of that, a lot of the movements and worldviews or ideologies, such as critical race theory, intersectionality, blend with or have evolved from postmodern modernism thought. Um, but with saying that, the whole point of this episode and next episode is to define, define uh, these ideologies, define these um Worldviews or uh, uh, lenses that people look through, and Vadi Bakum Jr. explains in his book *Fault Lines* how the current social justice movement and the BLM organization use appealing words with completely different definitions we are used to, and how they constantly commit falsehood. He also states our problem is a lack of clarity and charity in our debate over the place, priority, practice, and definition of justice. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because a lot of the things I think that a lot of people, proponents or supporters of critical race theory, maybe, or a lot of people who are just concerned about maybe injustices in society and racism, like like we've already talked about. Yes, we we are against racism. We are Christians should be for justice, but I think a lot of the things that people are putting out is they're it's like they're speaking as if we're still in the 1860s or during the Jim Crow law era yeah or even before the civil war i'm like because uh, I, I hear some things and i'm, I'm thinking kind of like what vadi bakum says he says that our problem is having clarity in our debate over the place or the priority or practice or definition of justice mm-hmm. so we might yeah we might be for justice but what is your definition of justice and is it appropriate in this context um, of like 
yeah, these things in the ni- 1960s or 1950s with the Civil Rights Movement or even 1860s during mm-hmm. the Civil War and with abolishing slavery and, and trying to work against the Jim Crow laws or in the late 1800s, okay, we're not living during that time period anymore. Yeah. Like, we can't, we can't apply those same things that were happening then to now because there has been made progress. Yeah. And so I think that's a good point that mm-hmm. Bauckham points of having clarity in the priority, in the place of justice, or in, the, in our definition of justice. Mm. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Thinking about some other quotes. Uh, I'll go ahead and say this one. It kind of reiterates what we said last week from James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, mm. but this a little bit different from cynical theories. They said this, within the English-speaking world, this is reiterating what we've kind of already said, they speak English, but they use everyday words differently from the rest of us. Not only do these scholar activists speak a specialized language while using everyday words that people assume incorrectly that they understand, but they also represent a wholly different culture embedded within our our own. People who have adopted this view may be physically close by, but intellectually they are a world away, which makes understanding them and communicating with them incredibly difficult. And I think that's why Vadi Bakum Jr.'s words are so important of, yeah. of trying to gain the proper clarity and charity in our in our conversations. Because I mean I, I think that's the same thing with me as a public school educator with working with young kids. The whole idea as as we grow up, we might have perceptions or a perspective about something or idea or an opinion. But a part of having conversations and debates and engaging in arguments of, of reasonable and mature arguments is so we can work things out. Yeah. And I think I think Thomas Sal, uh, an economist, uh, talks about this in his book of discrimination and disparities or disparities and discrimination of talking about that. That's one thing that's gone for the for the majority of society nowadays. It the, the time of Erasmus. And Martin Luther and, and, and these open debates of, yeah. of engaging one another who think completely different than you, that, that time period is like completely gone. And that's yeah. very few and far between of people actually sitting down and engaging in conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why Bauckham's words of, of trying to gain clarity and charity mm-hmm. is so important in these conversations. And also the Apostle Paul in Second Timothy chapter 2 where he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have to have discernment and knowledge of what is a foolish, ignorant controversy. Yeah. But then he goes on to say, you, um, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, and enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So if we're engaging in conversation... One, like Pluck Rose and Lindsay say in their book, Cynical Theories, we have to understand sometimes we might be coming to somebody and we might be using the same words, yeah. but we have to figure out, all right, let's define these terms first, especially in, in a, a very critical, important topic like this with social justice or issues of race. Let's, let's define, let's, let's get on, try to get on the same playing field. Let's try to get in the same context, yeah. define these terms, and try to communicate with one another because mm-hmm. we could start arguing with one another and I'm, I'm thinking this and you're thinking that and we're just butting heads. Yeah. We're not getting anywhere. Yeah. We can use a, a theological example, I guess, um, of like uh, 
if we're you know if we're talking with a Mormon, mm-hmm. you know that we're going to have a lot of the vocabulary in common, mm-hmm. um, and yet very little of those words are going to actually mean the same thing, right? right? So what we mean by grace, the free gift of God that is you know given to us through Jesus Christ perfectly is not what they mean by grace, you mm-hmm. know, like, right. for, like for them, grace is like, grace is, is, is still something that is earned by faith. Right. You know? Um, and so, and so, so it's an, it's an example, you know, right. of, 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 we can use the same word grace or redemption, you know, go on the, go on the list of those things. But if you're, but, but if we're talking with someone like a Mormon, you know, like we can use those same words and yet we mean completely different things from them. Right. And so, right. and so it kind of fits with this, with this topic as well is that we can be saying the same thing, social justice, right. black lives matter, but are we saying the same thing? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, so if words do matter, Jace, let's talk about what these words mean. Get some definitions. <laughs> yep. Let's try to nail these down. Yeah. And so the first one, <laughs> as Cole and I have talked about, uh, the umbrella term, this whole confusing because some, anybody and as we'll talk about in just a moment, too, with Marxism or the ide- ideology of ide- uh, Marxism coming from uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, even with that, there's different variations of Marxism. Uh, and as your, your example, so-called variations of Christianity mm-hmm. uh, or what some people, and especially after the Reformation, you get all these different groups and sects of people who call themselves Christians, but mm-hmm. completely different denominations. It's exactly the same thing with the social justice movement. Yeah. And that's why sometimes it can be confusing uh, when we're talking about the social justice movement of, okay, what group of people, what branch of the social justice movement but the oxford dictionary and we we defined this last week as well just very briefly um to kind of give some context but the oxford dictionary gives this definition for social justice justice in terms of the distribution of wealth opportunities and privilege within a society and we kind of broke that down a little Mm -hmm. bit i asked your thoughts a little bit last week Mm -hmm. but we see it says distribution in three categories wealth Opportunities and privileges. Then Lindsay, uh, James Lindsay and Helen Pluck Rose in their book, they continue to explain that the movement, quote, the movement that takes up this charge, end quote, the charge that there are hidden biases and underexamined assumptions within people in all of society, in which society and the systems that it operates upon are going wrong. So they say there's this movement, and this movement has some claims or charges that there's hidden biases, there's under-examined assumptions in society, and these systems that it operates upon are going wrong. So that charge presumptuously refers to its ideology as social justice, capital S, capital J, as though it alone seeks to just society and the rest of us are all advocating for something entirely different. The movement has thus come to be known as the social justice movement, and its online critics often refer to it for brevity as soak just, or increasingly... I've never heard that one. <laughs> I think I've maybe heard it once or twice, right. which is kind of odd. Soak yeah. just uh, sounds kind of like a different word or language. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> or increasingly, wokeism, and that yeah. is definitely a I common one. I have heard that one. You have yeah. heard that one. I have heard that one. Um, and... Due to its belief that it, it alone has awakened to the nature of societal injustice, mm. we got to be woke. Uh, we've got to awake from our sleep. Um, and that term woke 
has been used by many social media influencers, activists, newspaper journalists, and even many in the church. Unfortunately, most notably, Eric Mason in his book called Woke Church, an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and injustice. But we're going to hold off onto that for another episode when we talk mm-hmm. about how has this affected or influenced the church. Mm. So, everything that we are about to describe uh, and Cole and I are about to talk uh, kind of falls under this umbrella term of social justice movement. And, or kind of has created these ideas and has developed these ideas of social justice. And so it either has further developed this concept of social justice or is basically uh, has has uh, evolved from the starting kind of ideas of whether it's Marxism or postmodernism um, and things like critical race theory. So, um, but the first one that Cole and I want to kind of talk about is we, we originally, uh, kind of when I was organizing an outline for this, originally was going to kind of go backwards in time. Start from now, present day, and go backwards. Um, but for this episode, to kind of give you an outline and kind of go know where we're going, this outline is primarily going to discuss and look into the organization, uh, the global, now they're, now they're considered, it started out in the United States mm-hmm. in 2019, but now they're considered a global network foundation called Black Lives Matter. Um, so we're going to discuss that, kind of break it apart, and, and or break it down and examine it, analyze it, and then move on to Marxism and give a overview. Because as Cole and I were talking about before we started recording this episode, you could go on for days. Yep. You could have you could get a college education or degree in uh, Marxist theories and still have a hard time nailing it down. Yes, <laughs> and still have a hard time nailing it down because it basically breaks off, and you have offshoots, and you have mm-hmm. different people in different time periods with. And it basically evolves, as we'll talk about next episode, uh, it evolves into things like conflict theory or grievance studies or um, critical theory and then critical race theory and intersectionality. And that's all those we're going to talk about in episode three. But today, episode two, we are um, prioritizing Black Lives Matter, the Global Foundation, and Marxism Mm -hmm. from Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Mm. So... So tell us about Black Lives Matter, the global foundation. All right. Uh, so the, this organization is perfect of, of what we've already emphasized over and over, and I'm going to continue to overemphasize it, um, and people are going to accuse me of being too redundant. But as as we said last week with Vadi Bakum Jr., he, he kind of used the example, the quote from The Princess Bride, his favorite character, and he says the quote of, you keep using that word. I don't think you, it means what you think it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a perfect uh, example of that, of what he, Bauckham, and James Lindsay and Pluckrose describe as people or activists using everyday terms that are p- appealing, that can draw people in, um, and that most people want to support on the surface, but under the surface and behind the facade of love and justice, there's ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why it's so appealing. That's why it's so attractive. And and I think a lot of times, I don't know if we discussed this last uh, episode, but one thing I've noticed in society and I've reading different articles and I think Lindsay and Pluckrose talk about with this political correctness and also this cancel culture that, that is tied into all of this with the social justice movement, 
cancel culture has is is definitely a part of the, the social justice movement. And one of the issues within that with the social justice movement, the cancel culture, is sometimes good-hearted, good-intentioned people start to embrace the social justice movement because of fear of being canceled. Yeah. Because they're like, well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a racist. I, I'm, I'm for justice. And so I don't want to be seen as a racist, mm-hmm. so I'm going to support this. I don't want to be seen as neglecting the poor and the outcast and, and those who are discriminated against. And, and it is easy mm-hmm. to jump on that because, yes, in the past, uh, I mean, and, and still today, and there's always going to be racism. Um, but in the past, we we know the history of slavery. Mm-hmm. We know the history of the civil rights movement and, and sit-ins. And, and there has been police brutality. But that's kind of what I was talking about earlier of, of knowing the context yeah. of, okay, we can talk about police brutality, but are you talking about in the 1800s or the early 1900s or today? Because those are two different things. And it might not actually be happening today. Yeah. If we actually look at the situations, if we look at the data and and the facts. Mm. And so, yeah. And that's kind of what you see. Um, especially, especially, um, I think has kind of been building momentum this year of, uh, of that, you know, that it's not enough to be not racist, mm-hmm. but now you have to be anti-racist. Yeah. You know, like that kind of like that, that kind of moving the, moving the field goal (laughs) you know um on there so Mm. so um uh bacham says this that kind of goes along with it uh and this is going to go into we're gonna we're actually going to reference some of cole's words in his own blog post but before we do uh vadi bacham in his book fault line says moreover i think the movement and by extension the phrase is a trojan horse that poses a clear threat to the witness of the church and so the first time I heard that phrase of Trojan horse, I was like, uh, I mean, I know what a Trojan horse is, and I know some allusions to it and references to it in, in different ways. But what does he mean by Trojan horse here? So for our listeners, if you don't exactly know what that phrase means when, when Bauckham uses it or somebody uses it, like, oh, that idea or that person is a Trojan horse or whatever, it's someone or something intended to defeat or subvert from within, usually by deceptive means. By deceptive means goes right along with what we were talking yeah. about, but I'll let you kind of explain this next part since it's your own words, <laughs> um, and you can kind of give a background of where this is coming from. Since yeah. you did a study last year, right? Uh, or was it no, earlier, today, yeah, this earlier this year? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah this year you did a series on your blog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so this comes from this comes from a series that I did called "The Appearance of Godliness," um, where I walked through. Um, what I called the secular creed, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, a house sign that is, you know, increasingly becoming popular. Um, but what it is, it is, it, it is a creed um, because it says in this house we believe, and there's a couple of variations on that house sign, um, but they all start out with that phrase "we believe," um, which is a statement of a creed. And uh, the one that I decided to to walk through and study um, uh, said "Black Lives Matter." Um, Women's rights are human rights. Um, science is, no human is illegal. Science is real. Love is love and kindness is everything. So I just walked through those six statements. Um, and so and so the first one that I studied was Black Lives Matter, right? <laughs> um, and I thought that that was, and, and 
that actually ended up being really easy because what I said in the study is uh, is that uh, I thought that those were really appropriately placed because I think that they that that um, Black Lives Matter was the easiest one to study first because it's uh, because it had almost the 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 easiest because every study I tried to say what can we affirm mm-hmm. and what must we deny mm-hmm. you know like like because because called that study an appearance of godliness because it is. Like there is an appearance of godliness there, you mm-hmm. know. But as Paul said in Second Timothy three five, it's denying the power, it's right. denying God, you know. Right. So in each of those statements, there's something true there that is that, that's being said, right? And Black Lives Matter was the easiest one to begin with because, as I began by saying, was the easiest place to begin with with studying the phrase Black Lives Matter is to say that the phrase is true, right? Do Black Lives Matter? Like when we talk about people with darker melanin mm-hmm. in their skin, right? Mm-hmm. People who have black skin, do their lives matter? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Every Christian must be able to affirm the, re- affirm the reality that black lives do indeed matter, right? Um, now, what then I got into was, well, the issue is the organization of, right. of, of, of black lives matter, right? It's, it's completely easy for us to say that yes, indeed, Black lives do matter, but the organization—that uh, is what—that is—that is what makes it to where um, um, where we need to um, pump the brakes on on that, and especially since they've hijacked that right. statement, right? Um, and so, yeah. So I be, began that post by saying um, by saying, you know, let's 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 work through that phrase by phrase and talk about what indeed it, you know what indeed it means for something to matter at all. For something to matter, it must possess worth or value, which is necessarily both personal and relational. So indeed, nothing matters to a rock because it's neither personal nor relational. But a typical argument for the modern world is that we as humans are the sole arbiters of worth and value. Whatever the collective society deems to matter is what does matter. And just as the process of evolution makes uh, makes forward the lumbering progress, so too does our society, right? And so, um, and so, which as we'll talk about in Marxism in just a second, Marxism is a materialist worldview, right? Mm-hmm. So it, so 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 it subscribes to to that very same principle, right? That mm-hmm. we we define what matters. Mm-hmm. We make the definition of what matters. Because there's um, nothing else. And as 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 we as society continues to evolve, then our 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 understanding of what matters will continue to grow, right? And of course, that's in direct contradiction yeah. to to Scripture, which tells us that things matter because God made them, and He says that they matter, <laughs> right? Um, and so and so ended up ending ending that post by saying, you know, the only way that we can truly say that Black lives do matter is because is if we believe in the one who made life right you know um and the one who makes people in his in his image so right Right. and then that goes into um talking more because i think one thing one statement i've heard lately or throughout the past year or so is with debate of should we use the phrase black lives matter or should Mm -hmm. we phrase use the phrase all lives matter and a lot of people who are against using the phrase all lives matter are saying all lives won't matter until black lives matter. Um, or all lives mat- won't matter until Asian lives matter. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that's, again, gets into of knowing the context of, okay, you, you're right. At, at, at certain per- time periods, there have been huge time periods, glaring time periods um, where 
the majority of the society in different places did not value lives of people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but are we looking at the context today? Yeah. If we are, if we look at the context of today, um, and and as I don't want to spend too much on this because we need to define the mm-hmm. and dive more into it. But if we look into the different situations that people refer to, or the different situations of what they claim as police brutality, mm-hmm. was was that actually police brutality? Or and if you if you look at the scope of the whole society, the bigger picture in the United States. We have a society where anyone can come in, anyone can be successful, um, but that's still being refuted and mm-hmm. and 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 um, saying that's not the case. But I, I, so I think that's why it's so important for us to look at the context. Yep. Um, and yep. so, um, kind of defining it a little bit more, uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization, it was established in 2013 mm-hmm. in response to the acquittal of George Zimmerman. Uh, and he was not necessarily a police officer. He was more of like a security guard for a gated community. Um, but he was also Hispanic, or is. He's still alive. I mean, he's, he didn't die. He ceased to be Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> he is Hispanic. Although, if you were watching the news in 2013, or if, you, if, if a news outlet or social media person, or if you've heard anything since 2013, uh, has referenced this case, most of the time, he's referred to as a white man, mm. but he's Hispanic. Yeah, and so that's actually one thing uh, I've I've been getting into, and in, in some books by Robin DiAngelo, her book of white white fragility, and a, a different videos that I've watched from James Lindsay when he's describing critical race theory, and he's describing white supremacy and or how people use it and everything like that, is really what's starting to happen and it's what is starting to uh, develop. Even James Lindsay talks about this with the Asian hate and Asian discrimination is that um, really what this movement is starting to do, and not just Black Lives Matter, but the whole justice movement is centering on and focusing on black lives. And so really it's all about anti-blackness and that um, anyone who's not black, yeah. then they probably have some kind of subconscious inner anti-blackness within them and so anyone who's not a person of color or black which is interesting because we we have indigenous people of native americans hispanics latino latinas um but in this case since he was not black and he was a so-called police officer even though he's a security guard they just labeled him as white yeah um but that, that started, you and, and so some listeners may have, and I, I didn't, I mean, I knew of that case. Uh, I was recently out of high school, and I was in college at that time. So I knew what was going on. I mean, I wasn't diving into it and paying too much to attention to the news. I saw headlines and heard things about um, George uh, Zimmerman, and this was um, the acquittal of George Zimmerman, and, and they, they said he shot and killed, uh, it was police brutality against Michael Brown. I, I need to double check that source. I think it's Michael Brown or Trayvon Martin, one of the two boys in Florida. Um, I think Trayvon Martin was first. Yeah, Trayvon Martin was first. Um, I might be wrong. I think so. And and so that happened in 2013. I was kind of aware of it. Obviously, I'm just getting out of high school. I'm in college at this time uh, in 2013. 
And so I didn't really know much about the organization until probably a couple of years ago and started looking into it, found their website. Uh, and so some of our listeners may not have known that. They actually mm-hmm. established in 2013 response. Uh, you can even go on their website now, and they're saying that it was a guttural response to be with our people mm-hmm. um, and a response to these injustice, even though the courts, even though um, lawyers, and even though the facts or the examination uh, the intensive. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to look at this for a few minutes. No, it was a court case where there was a jury, where there's a due process of law. Um, and after days and days of examination and court dates and uh, time in court, he was acquitted and said that he was acting in self-defense. But the three founders of Black Lives Matter and a lot of other people disagreed with the experts um, and and the motivation behind the forming of the movement and the organization and all of the protests that have followed, even last year with George Floyd's death, um, flows from the belief that black men specifically are being hunted down by white police officers. And so that's where all this, if you've, if you've seen anything about hashtag defund the police or police brutality, that's where all of this is coming from. Um, and here's some quotes. This one is from Vadi Bakum Jr., Fault Lines. It says, BLM, or Black Lives Matter, contends that these events warrant, quote, an ideological and political intervention in a world where black lives are systematically and intentionally targeted for demise. End quote. From, he, 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 that was Vadi Bakum. He's quoting, it was in his book, Fault Lines, but he's also quoting the actual website from Black Lives Matter organization. And then, uh, this is actually from... Uh, if, if you don't know this, you can go find the website now, the Black Lives Matter website, and they'll have a tab, where the About Us tab, or About Us section, where they call it Her Story instead of His Story. Uh, and then they also have What We Believe section. And it's been eight years in the making, or, or yeah, eight years in the making. But originally, they had some different stuff on their website. And then after they put it out, after about four years or so, and they started getting exposed, and people started finding out some of their actual motives and what they actually believed, they took it down. They changed the website. But Vadi Bakum Jr., in his book, he quotes the archived website, the old website, and you can still go there. Um, it, it's, it's just like HTTPS colon backslash archive, and, it's, and, and we could we'll, put it in. We'll put a link. Yeah, we'll put a link in there. In the, and so you can go and see that... It's not the dark web. It's just an archived <laughs> website. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he got this, and I, I went to the archived website, and this is from their old archived website, where they say, Black Lives Matter began as a call to action in response to state-sanctioned violence and anti-black racism. The impetus for that commitment was, and still is, the rampant and deliberate violence inflicted on us by the state. So... The belief from these three co-founders, which I haven't said their name yet, we haven't gotten there yet, but the belief from them and everyone who's following this group of people, this organization, this ideology, is this idea that black lives are systematically and intentionally targeted for demise, that they're oppressed, that they're kept back, uh, that they don't have equality like everyone else, um, and that there's rampant and deliberate violence inflicted on us by the state. So this is this is the basis. This is like the foundation of the organization. Mm-hmm. This sole belief that 
black lives in the United States and throughout the world because this has become a global organization now, believing that, which which is interesting, but we won't get into that. It, mm-hmm. Globally, and specifically the United States, belief that black lives are targeted mm-hmm. for demise and that there's rampant and deliberate violence inflicted. And it's even continued by very, mm-hmm. some very famous people. And this guy has kind of gotten made fun of and mocked now. Um, but LeBron James, a professional basketball player, uh, he's not a politician. He's not a lawyer. He's not a, a scholar. He's not a police officer uh, who is engaged in the daily events of crime and street uh uh, interactions with people on the streets. Yeah. But he tweeted this after the Ahmad Arbery, which I will pause and say that is an actual event where the life of a man who is black, who has darker skin color, was deliberately targeted. But it gets twisted because that was not police brutality for him. It was two white men who were racist, who did not like that this man, they, they just just because he was black and he was running, he was he, he lived in the neighborhood. So it was his neighborhood to freely run in. Um, but that that situation is completely different than some of the other situations that we'll talk about in yeah. a later episode. But James, LeBron James um, tweeted this the day after, I think it was the day after Ahmaud Arbery was followed, shot, and killed by two actually white men. He said, and I didn't get the whole quote. Uh, You can find, you can probably Google search it, but he said, we're literally hunted every day, every time we step foot outside the comfort of our homes. So he he continued to push this narrative, uh, this idea that um, black people, people of color, um, are every day, every time hunted when they step outside of the comfort of their home. They're They're not safe. Hmm. Um, it, and, and I just think about kind of even with the critical race theory and as we'll talk about later episodes but just what like if there's so many young people who follow LeBron James he's he's a celebrity he's a famous basketball oh. player who's well respected looked up to <laughs> by elementary kids middle school kids high school kids and so and that's where and, and this is one thing that I've had I've had, I've had conversations with with other fellow teachers um, at the school that I teach at, and I've talked with other people, uh, even outside of the school, of uh, just kind of seeing what's, or, or kind of being aware of what's going on among teenagers and young people today, mm-hmm. is that they get their information because of a lot of, a lot of teenagers. And I can say this from firsthand experience because I'm a teacher in the classroom, yeah. boots on the ground, um, that a lot of kids do not have parents in the home. They have broken families. Uh, living with a single parent or living with their grandparents or really have no guardianship at all. Like there's no parental mm-hmm. guidance. And so where are they getting their news? Where are they getting the information? Information Who's influencing them? And it's all TikTok. It's all celebrities, sports athletes. And so th- I'm just thinking a middle schooler, high school, sky high schooler who follows LeBron James, who respects him, and they see this. And black kids are, kids of color. If they think this and they see this, I'm like, man, LeBron James says that black people, people of color, every day, yeah. every time, I'm not, I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. And what kind of fear, what kind of anxiety that that could put into yeah. the mind of somebody? And and it, I don't, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Um, mm. yeah, but the founders. Yeah. Alicia Garza, Patrice Kohlers, and Opal mm. Tomati. I don't know. I'm I'm totally butchered that last name, I think. I don't know. I think Tom- I would have said Tometi. Tometi? Tometi? But that doesn't sound right either, so... So those are the three founders. We, we've kind of the date, 2013, in response to the acquittal of George Zimmerman. We've kind of examined and presented the motivation behind its establishment. But it's the three founders, Alicia Garza, Patrice Kohlers, and Opal Tomati. Or Tom, mm-hmm. Tomati. So you want to kind of share those thoughts? Yeah. I definitely will. What? Who are they? What do they believe? Yeah. So, um, so all three of these, um, these fo- these co-founders of Black Lives Matter, um, are openly trained um, radical black organizers who have long been a part of a larger black liberation movement, um, in which um, liberation movements and um, and even in even in Christianity, liberation theology um, is a is a whole topic for another day, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, kind of like Marxism. Uh, you can go down the rabbit hole talking about that. Um, but uh, but in addition to being trained radical black organizers, uh, they are also trained Marxists. Um, and we actually have a uh, clip of that so you can hear them uh, with their uh, from their own mouths. So we'll see if this... A lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. And I think that what we really try to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many men. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and I'll put the link to this. Uh, to that YouTube video in the show notes as well, so you can um, see where we get that from. Um, and so I just made a made a quick cut of it. Um, but also, uh, so they so they do admit um, themselves that they are trained Marxists, which we'll see what Marxism um, means in just a second. Um, but also, maybe a little bit more interestingly, <laughs> um, uh, that 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 some of them at least also openly practice witchcraft. Um, and so we do have another another YouTube uh, YouTube clip of, of, of this interview. So and this is between one of the founders, Patricia or Patricia Kohlers, mm-hmm. and one of the co-founders. Uh, so she's one of the founders, and then the Los Angeles BLM chapter founder, Dr. Melina Abdullah. This is a like a Zoom call. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, and like he said, he's going to put the link in the uh, show notes. Mm-hmm. But this is basically a conversation that they they are having between the two of them. Yep. And so, and we'll, we'll, we'll put a link to the larger video. I'll just play a clip. Um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I oh, think is sorry. that we act, um, and maybe I'm sharing too much, but we become very intimate with the spirits that we call on regularly, right? Like each of them seems to have a different presence and personality. You know, I laugh a lot with Waukesha, you know, and I didn't meet her in her body, right? I met her through this work. It's it's a it's a very important practice. Um, hashtags are for us are way more than a hashtag. It is um, literally almost resurrecting a spirit so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done. I started to feel personally connected and responsible and accountable to them, um, both 
from a deeply political place, but also from a deeply spiritual place. And um, always, you know, in, our, in, in my tradition, you offer things that that your loved one who passed away would want, you know, um, whether it's like honey or tobacco, things like that. And that's, it's so important, not just for us to be in direct relationship to our people who've passed, but also for them to know they we, we've remembered them. Um, I, I believe so many of them work through us. Mm. Yep. So uh, it's called paganism, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's. I, I think what's really interesting about that, like the uh, the um, the witchcraft and this communicating with spirits, and um, and especially what what she has to say about hashtags, mm-hmm. you know, like about like this, like almost like almost like treating hashtags as if they're spells, mm-hmm. you know, um, is uh, well. Like one thing, one thing pops into my head is that we, uh, is that I, um, uh, used to be a lot more into comic books than I was, uh, than, than I am now. Um, but, uh, there's a really, really well-known comic book writer, um, really ex- eccentric kind of guy, um, that calls himself a magician. Like, like, uh, and, uh, and, and says that he actually, <clears throat> that he actually weaves magical spells. Um, and he says that the comics that he writes are magic spells. You hmm. know, um, that the stories that he's telling, you know, that hmm. they are, that that is magic. Like he's mm-hmm. like, he's a magician, uh, that, that, that his writing of stories is him weaving spells upon people mm-hmm. in which if you really think about it, like the gospel is like, comes from the, the old English word of God spell good spell or the good word mm-hmm. um, because what we get that word spell from is just a word or a message right mm-hmm. um, so the so so the gospel is the good spell it's the good word it's the good message mm-hmm. right um, whereas you can you know whereas there's there are these other ones out there right and so it's really interesting um, that you've you know you've already talked about how narrative is so essential mm-hmm. um, to what they're spinning, you know, and like, and even talking about like that LeBron James, you know, like of the, of the, he's perpetuating this, this narrative, you know, whether it, whether it, whether it's actually in proportion to reality yeah. or not, you know what I mean? Like, like, but, but, but is that not what is happening? Right. I mean, that sounds creepy of them, of like them talking about hashtags in that way, but are they wrong? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing, are like they, we, as Christians and so many, cause uh, we've had, Madison and I have had conversations with some friends of like, of trying to get so so I know of someone's particular who went to, mm-hmm. who's not a believer, <clears throat> went to I guess some kind of fair or whatever, mm-hmm. and there was like a palm reader or something like that, and the palm reader was able to accurately describe something like this person she had never met, and she mm-hmm. was able to accurately describe something in her life like a, a miscarriage or something. And Madison and I were talking about it, and I was like, "That's." I mean, the, the thing is, yeah, those things we as Christians affirm that those are real things. Like we, in even Scripture, yeah. the Old Testament talks about that you should not try to communicate with the dead, mm-hmm. uh, and even things, some things within the Roman Catholic Church and the Hispanic culture of the Dia de los Muertos, mm-hmm. of like even it, it, it's it's good. We yeah. like in in the American culture we have a, or the U.S. culture we have Memorial Day, yeah, and that's simply. The, the basic form, just remembering... To honor the dead. To honor the dead or yeah. to remember them. Like, we, we want to be encouraged by their legacy and, mm-hmm. and encouraged by their life. And it's the same thing. That's why we look into church history. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we want to be... We want to learn from them. 
people who have gone before us. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that we uh, scripture is directly against, and that can be super dangerous and unhealthy and toxic, is trying mm-hmm. to connect with the different realms of life and trying to bring them back. Mm-hmm. And and um, uh, Vadi Bakum in his book, he actually puts a footnote in this part when he's explaining all this and talking about the witchcraft of the, the, the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter. He says, he put a foot, foot point, and he said, this is also why they emphasize saying the names of the deceased. Mm-hmm. It is an integral, integral part of their ancestral worship. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm talking about and what I'm referring to, and you may already know, and, but for the listeners, if you don't know, one of the big things uh, after one of the uh, one of the a case where especially with George Floyd or different situations or incidents of what they claim as police brutality, one of the big things if you might see on the news or social media and hashtags is say, say their name, name say yeah. his name, say, say her, her name, name. Um, mm-hmm. and and it's not just of pushing not not simply just pushing a narrative. Of trying to remember that and bring that awareness, because I mean mm-hmm. that's a key thing. Of like, hey, wanna, you want to bring something to awareness? All right, mm-hmm. let's talk about it. But here, as Bakum points out, and as we kind of can see, if you go and watch the video a little bit more, is directly connected to this ancestral witchcraft worship, which is so insane to me. And mm-hmm. and and I think this is coming full circle sometimes, or not sometimes now, because so many people talk about like. I've heard even within in the Christian Christian uh, communities within the church and even outside of the church, so people are like, "Why is it that in the Western world there's not much demonic power, or there's not much um, voodoo or some or witchcraft?" But if you go to Africa or if you go to Eastern places, you might see more of that. And our answer, I know if you've heard this, and I've told other people, is like, "There's demonic power everywhere." Yeah. It's just that Satan presents himself mm-hmm. in different forms, and as we, as Paul even says that he, that Satan sometimes just disguises himself as an angel of the light, mm-hmm. and that in our Western world we're now based more in empirical science, enlightenment, and, and reason and logic and stuff like that, yeah. and so Satan's going to distract us from the gospel with mm-hmm. materialism, yep. with kind of like Marxism, but in other cultures. They're still outright direct voodoo witchcraft, yeah. um, yep. which, as what C.S. Lewis says in in the uh, the Screw Tape Letters, you know, is uh, that Satan uh, hails a materialist or a magician in right. the same way the one that you know the one that worships him, and then the one that denies him entirely, you know. Right. Um, but then later on in the Screw Tape Letters, Screw Tape has a has a letter where he talks about uh, looking forward to the day um, where one day. They'll, they'll actually develop a materialist magician, hmm. you know? So someone with a materialistic framework uh, that has actually gone back into paganism, you know, and, uh, and, and still tries to reconcile that with a materialistic, with a yeah. materialistic framework. And, here we go. And here we have it. Brothers and sisters, here we are. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, that's what we have. We and have and the, not, not to joke of, about it. But, no, not yeah. at all. But it's the rise of material, of, of material magicians. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a return, a return to paganism. You know, so, yep. So, kind of re- recap before we go further or before Cole goes further in describing what they believe. Um, Black Lives Matter, it's a, it's a global network foundation or what they call themselves, a global network organization or foundation. Um, and they have chapters in different large cities. 
It was founded in 2013 after the acquittal of George Zimmerman, uh, the security guard to a neighborhood who um, was acting in self-defense or by the court standards, by the court standards and and the court system, saying that he was acting in self-defense when he shot um, a black young boy. Um, And... The, 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 in 2013, the three founders were Alicia Garza, Patricia Kohlers, or Patricia Kohlers and Opal Tomati. Um, they are trained radical black organizers, but they also trained Marxists. They openly practice witchcraft and let Cole uh, continue that. Yep. Right. So they, yeah, go ahead. So go ahead. Are, Sorry. They're also openly feminist um, and uh, pro LGBTQIA. Plus, whatever, all the letters. Yeah. Um, and so as we have clearly stated um, in the first episode as disciples of Jesus, we are fully, or at least should be, about justice, kindness, caring for the outcast, and protecting all people. However, we also believe, according to Scripture and even the sciences, uh, that biology and sociology and psychology, that there is a certain design for humans to live by um, that is most healthy and best for societies for us all to thrive, right? We believe the Bible has very clear things to say about gender and, mm-hmm. and about sexuality, right? Um, and so just to give you a, a little taste of um, what they believe on these things, uh, we'll read, I'll read um, two quotes from them. Uh, from their, from, uh, so the first one is from the, the Herstory section of their current website. Um, so you can go on there and read this. Uh, and then the second quote that I'll read um, comes from their What We Believe section uh, from the archived website. So you, so, so you, if you go to the Black, Black Lives Matter website, you'll, you'll not see that quote um, on there presently. You'll have to go to the archived website that, we, uh, that we'll put in the show notes. So the first quote. Before Cole says that, yeah. he, he said her story, the section from the current website. If, if you don't know what they're doing there, uh, playing upon feminism, uh, feminist ideas mm-hmm. of, of trying to deconstruct the patriarchy, uh, basically, as we'll get to in just a moment, anti-male, um, and thinking the spelling of the word history, H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. His story. His story is referring to men. Mm-hmm. But if you do some, um, um, <clears throat> what, what is it? Uh, what's the big word for study of words? I was about to say epide- epi- epidemiologist, but that's like study yeah, of virus. Yeah, study of origins, right? Yeah. I can't. No, no, that's just, yeah. So it starts with E. Um, I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah. that's technical things. Um, but the study of words and the origin of words, if you actually mm-hmm. look into the word history, it's not referring to men or males yeah. in any way. So <laughs> that's what they're doing right there. On their yeah. website, they call it her story mm-hmm. um, because... They're trying to deconstruct the patriarchy. Yep. So here's what they have to say. Black liberation movements in this country have created room, space, and leadership mostly for black, heterosexual, cisgender men, leaving women, queer, and transgender people, and others either out of the movement or in the background to move the work forward with little or no recognition. As a network, we have always recognized the need to center the leadership of women and queer and trans people, right? Um, so, so they're not just so they're not just about um, black people in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're but they're specifically specifically about um, about also incorporating women, queer, and trans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this will 
kind of get into intersectionality when we talk about yeah. <laughs> when we talk about that, right? Um, is that is that if you happen to be black, a woman, and queer or trans, then you, you you strike all the boxes or have some kind of right? disability. Yes, or and missing yes. a leg, or if you have a, or if you're autistic or something like that, some kind yeah. of diagnosis or physical element that you're not able-bodied. You're, you're checking the box of you've all hit, the intersections. You've hit the, vic- the victimhood bingo. Yep. Right. Um, so another another quote that they have to that they have to say. Right. Um, so so not just about so the first one we saw not just about heterosexual cisgender men, um, uh, but which is which cisgender is a way of just saying men. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but this comes from their what we believe section. Like I said, from their archived website it says we are self-reflexive. And do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege, so aka gender, right, as the as the Bible defines it, and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. We foster a queer affirming network when we gather. We do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she or he or they disclose otherwise, right? Um, and so as Bauckham points out um, in, in, in Fault Lines, he says biblical Christianity would not only be an example of heteronormative thinking, but it would be the very source mm-hmm. of heteronormative thinking, right? Um, because we do believe um, in Genesis 1 uh, that, you know, God created man. man and he made us male and female right mm-hmm. so as mankind as as humanity um he has made us as two genders yeah. where every single person on this planet is either male or female right right and i can i can talk about these two points yeah um, so the other thing so that kind of we had, we had three points of mm-hmm. kind of response to those quotes that cole just read he he just said the first one about Bauckham points about biblical biblical Christianity and heteronormative thinking. But the other two is if you heard, if you were listening, he said something in the second quote. It says, "We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle um, this dismantle this mm-hmm. this idea, this thing, kind of idea of dismantling and deconstructing." goes right along with what James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose explain in their book, Cynical Theories About the Social Justice Movement and Postmodernism, of getting away from this idea of abstract truth or objective truth or truth at all, and that we can have any kind of objective knowledge. Um, and so a lot of people within one of the leader, some of, some of the leaders and some of the, a lot of the proponents and supporters of the social justice movement, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, believe that race and gender and sexuality are all social constructs. And what that means, if it's been constructed up, it can be deconstructed down. And then you can reconstruct it however you want. So I've heard a lot of people talk about this, about Marxism or um, race, uh, talk about it as a, a thesis, antithesis, or antithesis, and a synthesis. Uh, thesis, antithesis, and a then a synthesis. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same thing. Something, the dominant culture, kind of putting in the terms of critical race theory and also of 
of Robin D'Angelo in her book of White Fragility and talking about white dominance or white supremacy and white privilege, or even Marxism, of this idea of struggle and conflict struggle and conflict theories of oppressed and oppressors. So it's this idea that those who are in, in control, the oppressors, who the dominant culture or the dominant belief system, they have constructed an idea. They've constructed an idea about gender or race or marriage and family and economics. Hmm. But someone else can come along and say, nope, that's not right. Which in, by making that statement, you're making an absolute statement. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so someone else can come along and say, well, that's just a social contract. That's not what we think. We're going to deconstruct that and put in something else. And so what Cole just described in the quote from the Black Lives Matter is they are seeing, they have that, they have that worldview that gender and race um, and marriage and the family are social constructs, mainly from Christianity. They're not, mm-hmm. most of the time they won't ever say that, but it's a direct attack upon the gospel and the scriptures and the Christianity. And they're trying to dismantle or deconstruct it and then mm-hmm. reconstruct it in their own way. Third thing that we, we can see this can, and kind of glean from this is um, think, and, and it's not really one, it was just kind of a question I had or thinking about it, but if you if you look at it in the bottom, in the second, sorry, you, y'all, y'all can't see our show notes, um, but when you look at the second quote, when we gather, we do some, so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she, he, or they disclose otherwise. So it seems to me that they're implying this idea that gender and sexuality is not a choice, that you're born with it. Uh, So uh, thinking that they're implying that not all people are heterosexual, and that's kind of why they're wanting to disconstruct this idea of cisgender, that sex and gender aren't the same thing, and so your gender can be whatever you want it to be, and you can choose, you can change, it's fluid, you can go back and forth, um, which is which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So, yeah. And so moving on, so we've talked about their openly trained radical organizers, mm-hmm. trained Marxists, mm-hmm. that they are openly, uh, they openly practice witchcraft um, and ancestral worship form of witchcraft. Um, openly feminist and pro-LGBTQIA+. Mm-hmm. But more so, you would, if you look into it and listen to them and, and dig into their belief systems, it's really trying to um, give supremacy and power to women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this idea of trying to deconstruct men and heterosexuality. Um, but the other one is... Openly anti-male and anti-traditional or nuclear family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you can already see that in one of the quotes you said, uh, like that second one. It says, we are Mm self-reflexive and do the work to uh, require to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplife black trans folk. Which they use the word folk. But then they go on, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted which is in, and then we talk about queer affirming. They don't really ever talk about men in those quotes, even yeah. even though they might use the pronoun he. Mm-hmm. Most of it's always talking about black trans women or women who have been oppressed. But it's even more clear in these next ones. 
Um, so this characteristic, uh, this uh, this characteristic of anti-male and anti-traditional, or in the nuclear family, of mm-hmm. uh, Black Lives Matter, is one that many I, I've seen some videos of people on the streets where there's protest or there's gatherings. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, I think uh, there was one organization or there was a one gathering of some of people, not just black people, but there was lots of people on the streets, and there was like an interviewer. And they asked him about, like, hey, what are, what are your all's thoughts about Black Lives Matter? And there's, like, three these three men who were, like, completely against it. And they're, like, they're not doing anything for us. They're, if they were really about the black lives, they would not be trying to deconstruct the family, the nuclear yeah. family, because we already have a problem with that. Yep. We already, we are, the black community needs more support with the nuclear family. And, but then I've also seen uh, interviews, uh, a, a formal, organized, structured interview, mm-hmm. like we're doing right here, like a podcast or something. So I've seen both of where so many people of color, so many black people in the black community are just frustrated and fed yeah. up with the Black Lives Matter community because as we're seeing here, mm-hmm. they're not just a, they use the facade and the message of Black Lives Matter, but there's so much more going on. Mm-hmm. But even even people like Candace Owens or Ben Carson um, and so many others, even Barack Obama, before he became president in a very famous Father's Day speech, yeah. have lamented that the black community is already plagued with fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. They're plagued with men and fathers not being, uh, um, that the, they're absent from yeah. the family. And there's this culture within many black communities, not all black communities, and this is not the same to say that all black families are like this. But yeah. one of the main problems that Candace Owens, Ben Carson, and even Barack Obama has stated in the past is that there's a culture among black families and black communities of the fathers being absent, yeah. taking no responsibility for their, for their families and taking no responsibility for their children um, and mm. not not being there and yeah. being absent. I think my favorite is, I think it was Thomas Sowell. He was asked. Uh, he was asked Such a question. A asked a question in an interview. Uh, what are the top three problems facing the black community? And he said, "Lack of fathers. Lack of fathers. Lack of fathers." Mm. <laughs> so, just repeated, repeated the fatherlessness three times. That yeah. is, he, you know, he says that is the, the single greatest issue facing the black community is the lack of fathers. I think the rate is, I think it's somewhere up near like seventy. 70% now mm-hmm. across the nation, something like that, like mm-hmm. ridiculous, you know, and it's, yeah. And you can, you can easily go on, uh, go on and find studies of, uh, of the effects of fatherlessness, um, and what that, what that does to children, um, and the increased likelihood of children, um, ending up in, ending up in crime, ending up in prison, um, ending up in, in, uh, in, 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 Poverty, you know, um, the, the the chances of all those things uh, ending ending up being abusers themselves. Um, so, of, yeah, of, of children that were raised without fathers. So I just thought <laughs> of um, something, a story I just heard, um, and I don't know if I'm gonna find. I just tried to search it, and um, um, but this story I recently heard this past week, and it was a, a speaker talking about he's a, he's a football coach, and he came in uh, into a community, a low-income community, uh, low-performing school, uh, where the GPA was like 1.4. And over three years or something, um, they were able to bring it up to like 3.4 or something like that, or 
one. Um, and he talked about how that was a big problem in, in the community with the, with the football uh, players and the athletes. But there, was, there was no parental support with the, the athletic program. There were really, the parents weren't involved. And there wasn't really any men involved. There wasn't any uh, fatherly influence in the lives of these, these boys and these athletes. And he goes on to kind of give, give an illustration. And you, you might be able to, like, if you researched it, Googled it or whatever, find the story he's kind of talking about. But he talked about how a while back there, I think in Africa, they tried to make this wildlife refugee a refuge for elephants. And the, the rhino elephants were way too large to bring in, so they just had the, the mothers, the female elephants, and then the babies uh, separated from the rhino elephants. And over time, the, the uh, male elephants just run amok. They were destroying the lands, they were just fighting against each other, and they were not uh, behaving in a orderly manner uh, of just, in, in a, I guess you would say, in a, in a way that was good for all of the elephants or whatever. And so they're doing research and they're trying to figure out, like, what the heck is going on? And then one of the researchers suggested, hey, why don't we try to figure out a way to get these, uh, the rhino elephants, the fathers or the males, into the uh, the community, the refuge. And so they figured out this contraption, bring them into the, into the place with the helicopter or whatever, and over time, the rhino elephants, starting out at the very beginning, they just watched and watched these young male elephants just running amok and destroying things. And then at, at one point uh, in the story, I remember, is that they just made this, the rhino elephants basically made a loud screech or whatever. And then they gathered all the male elephants together and basically was communicating. It was like, all right, this enough is enough. You're going to mm-hmm. stop acting like this and I'm going to we're going to teach you all how to be male elephants mm. and the the speaker that I was listening to this past week was using that as an example of even that's exactly same mm. what we see in the animal kingdom is the exact same thing with humans of relationships and the influence of the fathers the influence of males but what we see with the Black Lives Matter uh, and the social justice movement is the complete opposite yeah. of trying to deconstruct the the uh, nuclear family and trying to remove the male uh, and decenter that's a word that they use as center how about we we need we need to center the black voice or we need to center the the woman or the black trans woman and so what they're trying to do is decenter uh, and take off the the male and the husband and the father off the platform of being the leader and just make it this communal, everyone together. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we see in this next quote um, from their archived website on what we believe. They say, we make our spaces family friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children, which not a bad idea <laughs> in, in some sense, in some context. Like we want to be family friendly. I mean, restaurants are like that. We want, we as believers believe that Parents, like children are a blessing from the Lord, are a heritage from the Lord. And we want parents to be fully involved. Um, But then it goes on. So far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. I mean, it's good. Uh, And it says fully participate with their children. Like, what are they they talking about? What do you mean fully participate with their children? Mm -hmm. In in what way? Mm -hmm. But then they go on. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires Mm -hmm. mothers to work double shifts. 
Now, does every mother work double shift? <laughs> no. Uh, they're, but they're making it a statement as if the, this patriarchal practice requires mothers to work double shifts. Yeah. So they can mother in private, even as they per- participate in public justice work. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Direct, right there. Mm-hmm. No hiding it. <laughs> you know what they're saying. We disrupt the Western prescribed, and you could really replace that with Christian, yeah. um, prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. What we believe... Uh, that was the what we believe section from archived websites. Mm-hmm. What's one of the things that you notice right yeah. off the start? Mothers, parents, children. No father. No father. <laughs> Mother and parents. Yeah. But we didn't say father. <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of like uh, what's being said today of birthing people. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of women. Yeah. Pregnant women. Hmm. Hmm. And so, and Bauckham, uh, Vadi Bauckham points that out in Fault Lines. He says, first, note that the word father appears nowhere in the BLM statements on family. Mm-hmm. They do use the pronoun he at yeah. one point when they're talking about um, the LGBTQ movement and trans centering and elevating uh, trans people, trans yeah. folk. Uh, but they never use mm-hmm. men, boys, fathers, mm. uh, and not one mention of fathers. Mm. Another thing. Mm-hmm. Is and this is kind of where we can kind of there no, might not be an objective answer. Uh, you might uh, some of the questions I have here, but finally, Bacham in his book Fault Lines no, he says note the references to villages. I'll, I'll quote that again. It says we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families, mm-hmm. everyone. Okay, and so they're they're going across the biological uh, boundaries or to the typical terms, we have our nuclear family, the father, the mother, the children. We have our extended family, our mm-hmm. grandparents, our uncles, aunts, cousins. But they're saying, hey, no, we're going to support each other. doesn't matter if it's biological or not. As extended families in villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children. Mm-hmm. So this sounds very communal. Yep. Um, and, and in a sense, I, th- I this is why it is difficult. Yeah. Because I think... And, and I haven't said this yet, but this is one thing that I've been thinking quite a bit that this phrase, I've heard a lot of people say that a, a, a lie with a little bit of truth mm-hmm. can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, and as James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose and Vadi Bauckham have, have pointed out, that's the case with the social justice movement. That there's some truth, mm-hmm. but there's also lies within it. There's some falsehood. Yeah, and so I want to hear your thoughts of how is this different? Because I mean, obviously, we and, and when we talked about that last episode last week, yeah, talking about in Acts chapter two and early church, they were very communal, mm-hmm. and the scriptures do command us in some ways for Christians for the church yeah. to be communal that we're working together and that we are now brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. and that's one of the beauty beauties of the gospel yep. is that if you if you're your biological earthly family disowns you, you are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Yeah. You are adopted as a son and daughter yeah. of the Father. And you've been given a new family. You've been given a new family. Mm-hmm. You've been given an eternal family. Yeah. Uh, and, and you belong. 
you're you're adopted. Mm-hmm. But how is this? How is this? Because um, he because he points it out. What I didn't finish Bachman's quote in Fault Lines. He says, finally, note the references to villages. This is an allusion to a communal matriarchal view of family reminiscent of early Marxist teaching. So, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of Christians use the phrase, it takes a whole village, whether it's talking about discipleship or raising children. So how is this different, or is it different, and should Christians use this type of terminology? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's a difficult, I mean... It's a difficult one because to go back to that, uh, it's an appearance of godliness. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, that, that kind of communal living of sharing and all that kind of stuff, you know, and like, and people go to that Acts 2 as a, as a, you know, sometimes as a way of justifying um, that socialism or communism are, right. are biblical ideas, you mm-hmm. know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but there's, but there's, there, there's an appearance of godliness there, right? Mm-hmm. But it just, it just denies the, the power, denies right. God, you know? Um, and so... And so, you know, so one, is it wise to use the term it takes a village? Well, I mean, maybe as society moves more more into a into a socialistic, communistic, you know, mind frame and all that kind of stuff, it might not be wise to right. use that phrase anymore, you know? Um, but, like, uh, one of the things that I always try to do, like, when we do baby dedications or, um, or, or child dedications, you know, um, is, to, is to point out that, that uh, we, yes, we are a community. Of brothers and sisters, right? Um, but and 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 when we do baby dedications, you know, there's a we. I have two questions that I typically ask the parents, you mm-hmm. know, um, and then I have a, one question that I ask the congregation, you know, um, and uh, but but one of the things that I always try to point out is that is that the congregation's role is not to raise the children mm-hmm. with the parents, right? It's more to support the parents. <laughs> Right. In the raising of the children. Right. Right. You know, because the Bible is very explicit that it is the parents role right. to raise their children. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, you know, so now if if one of the ways that, you know, Tiff and I can support you and uh, you and Madison, you know, is by is by babysitting your kids, yeah. you know, letting you letting you guys go have a date night. Awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cool. We do that kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like but but ultimately like, like, like God has given you the, 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 the charge to, to disciple and to raise up your children. He's given me the charge to, to disciple, to raise up my children. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and as a community, we're supporting each other right. in doing that, you know, um, and the, and the whole deal of it being matriarchal, <laughs> you know, um, what we see in, what we see in, in Ephesians chapter six, you know, that, that it is, uh, that, that I think it's, it's really particular that Paul uses the word father when he talks about, um, in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, you know, that, uh, that it's the father's role, um, to, 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 to teach and, and to instruct mm-hmm. children, um, in godliness, you right. know, in God's ways. Um, that's not to say that, that the mother's not a part of it. I mean, go to Proverbs 31, no. you know, oh, yeah. um, the mom a, is so involved. In that it. is active, you know, and Paul, and, 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 and Paul at one point, you know, and even, even calls, uh, even calls wives managers of mm-hmm. their household. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, so, so obviously there is, you know, there's a, there's a leadership there for moms, for wives, right. you know? Um, but obviously the Bible expects us to be to, for, for, for fathers 
right. to take the head of the household for, for fathers to guide, especially the spiritual direction um, of the household. And so, uh, and so, yeah. So, it, so it's it's an appearance of godliness. No, yeah. I mean, yes, we do believe in in community, and we do believe in supporting one another. Um, but, but, yeah. Yeah. fathers have a very important role to play right yeah. and we support each other uh, we don't raise each other's kids so. right right so that that makes a big difference of supporting <laughs> versus the the primary responsibility and i think that's mm-hmm. that's another thing um because so many people could go to get in debates of of Paul being uh, misogynistic and oppressive towards women and uh, by saying that the man is the head of the whole household and and we can even get into these debates of egalitarian and complementarian and, and different things like that. Of, but we um, believe that it's complementarian because from Scripture we get our authority from God from the Scriptures, and it's not saying that women are uh, less valuable or have less dignity or inferior to men. It's 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 the the, the fact the idea of complementarianism is that we have different roles. To glorify God, to to create a a, a sound, healthy, uh, sustainable society, mm-hmm. um, and that we both have our our responsibilities. Um, that the the husband is to be the leader. That we have the responsibility, um, and and not not to be a leader or responsibility to oppress and just to go as a dictator and authoritarian through marriage and through family, but we should be leading with gentleness. And that the women uh, are also have the role to have leadership in some way in the household, yeah. but um, it's the so that's getting into a lot of things. But I think the main point that Vadi Bakum points into is this idea, um, this allusion to a communal matriarchal view of family, reminiscent of early Marxist teaching. Mm-hmm. And so, since we have, I know we're getting probably close to two hours. Already, yep. I think. Hour and a half. Hour and a half. Okay, so <laughs> we, we I think we're good because we're not an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> and we're not an hour and 50 minutes. So um, we are about to finish, though. I think we probably still have maybe 10, 15 more minutes or, or maybe less than that because um, we could actually fly through this last part. But I um, – because and, – and we might actually fly through it and just read our notes because this really could – as we've – we could take a ton of time. Um, a whole semester, a whole year of study. Um, but since we have, as I'd said at the very beginning, uh, we were th- planning on going in chronological order from present day backwards. But since there's so much involved with Marxism, with, mm-hmm. uh, tied to the Black Lives Matter, and how they consider themselves trained Marxists, and how Vadi Bakum Jr. points that out, that there's an allusion to early Marxist teaching, we thought, why not mm-hmm. kind of explain Marxism? What is Marxism? Yep. Why don't you run through your notes on Marxism, and we'll just sounds good make a couple of comments maybe at the end, right? And then we'll give you some other sources too. If you want to mm-hmm. dive deeper into Marxism, we got a few sources, some podcasts. But Oxford Dictionary of Marxism. Well, for well, it actually says that the dictionary definition actually refers to Karl Marx, the founder. But the Oxford Dictionary of Marxism is the political and economic theories of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels later developed by their followers to form the basis for the theory and practice of communism. Mm -hmm. Okay, Britannica. What does Britannica Encyclopedia say about Marxism? Marxism is a body of doctrine developed by Karl Marx and to a lesser extent by Frederick Engels. 
in the ni- mid-19th century. So if, if you get confused on that, uh, I know as a history teacher, I can still get confused. I have to stop and think, oh, what, what time period is that? That's the 1800s, mid-1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of put into perspective U.S. history. Um, that was Civil War right in the middle of 1800s. The Industrial Revolution is going on. Um, so this is before World War One and World War Two. for some of you who I know I've had people ask, uh, when was the Civil War? What was the Civil War? So yeah. is that before, was the Civil War before or after World War One and World War Two? I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so mid-19th century, that's 1800s. It yeah. originally consisted of three related ideas, three big pillars. Uh, a philosophical anthropology, that's the study of man, a theory of history, and an economic and political program. There is also Marxism, as it has been understood and practiced by the various socialist movements, particularly before 1914. So if you go to that Britannica website, if you just go to Britannica and type in Marxism, there's a whole article and there's a whole document that kind of explains it. But they just dive into even more, and that's why we put in our uh, show notes, there have been various forms of Marxism, often sometimes closely related to socialism or communism. I should correct that show note because it as the oxford dictionary says their f- followers it went on to form the basis for the theory and practice of communism mm-hmm. so moving on uh this is from britannica uh the thought of marx of Karl marx this is the section the heading subheading on the britannica article about marxism it says the thought of marx the written work of marx cannot be reduced to a philosophy that's why it sometimes can be confusing because there's so many variations of it, much less to a philosophical system. The whole of his work is a radical critique of philosophy. And this gets plays into, later on, it's going to develop into like what James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose say, cynical mm-hmm. uh, theories. Because it, it starts off as um, critiques, skepticism, which is can be good. That's what we see in the Renaissance and Reformation. Martin Luther had skepticism and... and critiques of the Roman Catholic Church. But as time went on, society at large, even in the ni- in mid-1900s, the mid-20th century with postmodernism, starts to become very cynical mm-hmm. and basically doubting any kind of abstract truth or whatever. But with Karl Marx, it says, the whole of his work as a radical critique of philosophy, especially of G.W.F. Hegel, Hegel's I- idealist s- system, and of the philosophies of the left and right post-Hegelians. It is not, however, a mere denial of those philosophies. Marx declared that the philosophy must become reality. One can no longer be content with interpreting the world. So that's actually, I mean, good in a sense. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't want to just always be theoretical. You want to put your thoughts into action. Scripture even says this, be a doer of your, the word, not just a hearer only. Yeah. But it goes on, Britannica goes on to say, one can no longer be content with interpreting the world. One must be concerned with transforming it, which meant transforming both the world itself and human consciousness of it. This in turn required a critique of experience together with a critique of ideas. In fact, Marx believed that all knowledge involves a critique of ideas. He was not an empirist. empirist. Rather, his work teems with concepts, appropriation, alienation, praxis, uh, creative labor, value, and so on, that he had inherited from earlier philosophers and economists, including Hegel, Johann Feitsch, Immanuel Kant, Adam Smith, who is a big proponent of capitalism in his book, The Wealth of Nations, 
David Ricardo, and John Stuart Mill. What uniquely characterizes the thought of Marx is that, instead of making abstract affirmations about a whole group of problems such as a human nature, knowledge, and matter, he examines each problem in its dynamic relation to the others, and above all, tries to relate them to historical, social, political, and economic realities, Mm -hmm. which later on will kind of develop into what is going on right now, critical theory or critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Basically, all of human history has been a struggle between the oppressed and oppressor for limited resources. And now I'll quote some things from directly. This is primary source, The Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Um, And I I will read this, that the foreword, or the preface, I guess you could say, of The Communist Manifesto was written by Frederick Engels. And he says the manifesto was published as the platform of the Communist League, a working men's association, first exclusively German, later on international and under the political conditions of the continent before 1848, unavoidably a secret society. And so there was a Congress or there was a group of people that met together in London in November 1847, and Marx and Engels were commissioned to prepare for publication a complete theoretical and practical party program. So it's basically like they were a secret society at first, and then they started to come together and try to create a party platform. But here's some quotes from the Communist Manifesto. The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggles. Freeman and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, or dominant dominated and dominator or something, Mm -hmm. stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large or in the common ruin of the contending classes. That's chapter one, very beginning of the Communist Manifesto. But then later on, they go on to say the modern bourgeois or how did you pronounce it earlier? Bourgeoisie. 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 Yeah, we I don't know. French. Yeah, don't know very much French. Yep. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say bourgeois because uh, that's kind of how I've learned it. It's yeah. kind of confusing either way. Modern bourgeois society that has sprouted from the ruins of feudal society has not done away with class antagonisms. It has but established new classes, new conditions of oppression, new forms of struggle in a place of old ones. Society as a whole is more and more splitting up into two great hostile groups, into two great classes directly facing each other. Bourgeois or bourgeois? See, I think that one's bourgeoisie. Yeah, bourgeoisie. There we go. Yeah, because that one's spelled a little bit different. So you have the bourgeois and the bourgeoisie. There we go. And proletariat. Okay. So that's what uh, Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, and a lot of communists or people part of this group started to think, all of society now is just two groups. There's only two classes, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. They So, so some things, we I can't list everything because um, some of the things are kind of confusing, but they oppose capitalism and a free market or free enterprise society and want to ab- abolish private property. This is in Chapter 2 uh, on page 22 of the Communist Manifesto or my copy of the Communist Manifesto. The immediate aim of the communists. This is, I, I think, this is one good thing about Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. They are pretty direct about what they want, yeah. uh, and so it's pretty easy to critique or to support 
Um, the immediate aim of the communists is the same as that of all the other proletarian parties. Formation of the proletariat into a class. Overthrow of bourgeois supremacy. Conquest of political power by the proletariat. Hmm. Which is, and, and I'll, we'll get to this later, but it's like a circular argument. Yeah. Because they don't like this idea of oppressor and oppressed, but they're using terms themselves of, hey, we want to overthrow the bourgeois supremacy and conquest of political power by the proletariat. They just want the oppressed to become the oppressors. Yeah. 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 And then continue on, the distinguishing feature, okay? So they tell us, what what is the key feature of communism? is not the abolition of property generally, but the abolition of bourgeois property, mm. the, the upper class, the, mm. the oppressed class, or I mean oppressor class. In this sense, the theory of the communists may be summed up in a single sentence. Abolition of private mm. property. No private property. Everyone owns it together, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about some, some thoughts, responses. Cole, what are your first things from notes we've put down? Yeah, one's a... I mean, the abolition of private property is um, a problem with uh, with, uh, with anybody that wants to hold a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, you know, the uh, the Eighth Commandment, do not steal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, uh, it, it implies that God intends for us to be able to own things, yeah. right? And have a right to those things. Um, yeah. And so obviously, but obviously Karl Marx did, you know, was, yeah. Uh, did not did not even pretend to be a to be a Christian. Um, right. So, so yeah. Um, Here I'll, I'll go ahead and list. There's there's ten things later on in the Communist Manifesto. I think one of the last chapters, or actually the second chapter. There's not really many chapters. It's really short and three or four chapters um, of how my my copy of it mm-hmm. divides it up. And I think in three or four chapters. But he's talking about like to in order for this to happen, in order for the proletariat to overthrow the bourgeois. Bourgeois, <laughs> um, and to have no private property, whatever, um, and, and the proletariat will use its political supremacy to wrest by degrees all capital from the bourgeois. So they want to take all the capital from the dominant, oppressing mm-hmm. group of society to centralize all instruments of production in the hands of the state. Yeah. So state-owned everything, um, aka China or Cuba. Yep. Um, Example of the proletariat organized as the ruling class. But they say, he, he goes on to say, Marx goes on to say, these measures will, of course, be different in different countries. Nevertheless, in the most advanced countries, the following will be pretty generally applicable. Mm-hmm. So he says these 10 things, their goals, they have 10 things that they want done, and he says these 10 things are probably going to be pretty easy in most countries. One, and I think that's true still today. If you look at most mm-hmm. countries, developing countries, this has happened. Um Venezuela, Cuba, China, a lot of the Soviet Union. Um, Abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Two, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Three, abolition of all right of inheritance. Four, confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Interesting. Five, centralization of credit in the hands of the state. That means the government. By means of a national bank with state capital and exclusive monopoly which there have been debates even at the very beginning with George Washington and his uh, Secretary of Treasury of should there be a national bank, should there not be? Andrew Jackson, one of the guys who 
we say Jacksonian democracy and, and allowed more people to come into uh, the political sphere, he said, let's kill the National Bank. And we did see some negative effects of that, but there's been debates even in the United States of should there be a National Bank, should there not be? Um, and then number six, centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. So basically this idea of big federal government, centralization of power. Number seven, extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. The bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with the common plan. Number eight, equal obligation of all to work. Equal obligation of all to work. Establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. Number nine. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country, which is, I don't know, by a more equable equable distribution of the population of the country. So basically saying we don't want overpopulation in the cities, and there's there's going to be a distinction. There's not going to be a Mm -hmm. distinction. So we want an equitable distribution of population over the country. And then lastly, 10. Free education for all children in public schools. Abolition of child factory labor in its present form. Combination of education with industrial production, etc. So one note I'll say, and then we can kind of give some sources uh, if you want to dive deeper. And then Cole can say whatever closing thoughts. But that's, that. that I will say, those are, if if you can say good, air quotes, quote unquote good things about Marxism or some of his thoughts, is one example I think of, especially as, as a history teacher, U.S. history teacher, is studying the Industrial Revolution, is that, yeah, there's, there's some good critiques of capitalism. There's some good critiques of things that have happened throughout the world um, in a free market society. And one of those was the child labor laws uh, in the 1800s of getting the children out. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I think children should work in some ways, Parents should instill within their children independence and hard work and hard work ethic and learning how to do chores around the house and maybe getting a job early, um, I mean, mm-hmm. by law, legally, and stuff like that. But um, the exploitation. The exploitation. That's the big problem. That's what we saw in the United States as well in the yeah. northern, northern states before the Civil War uh, and even after the Civil War, but with the industrialization and not just children, but the workers that yeah. they – and, and I think, I don't, I don't think it was necessarily, I mean, if you look at it, it wasn't necessarily the problem of capitalism, because mm-hmm. capitalism opens the doors and free enterprise or free market society opens the door for anybody to succeed. You can move, and, and, and unlike other countries nowadays, where there's a caste system and there's a social classes, and you, there's really no fluid, fluid movement. You can't really move. If you're born in this, in this class, you're probably going to stay there. And that's changed a lot since the medieval ages. Like if yeah. your dad was a, a carpenter, you're probably going to be a carpenter. If your dad was a blacksmith, you're probably going to be a blacksmith. If that happened today in America, in the United States? No. Yeah. Because if your dad is a, a banker, you, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to be a banker. If your yeah. dad is a, a public, um, I don't know, whatever. I mean, yeah. a, a pastor or or a teacher or a construction worker or mayor an electrician. Of the town. Mayor of the town. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to be? No. no. In the United States, we now in a free market society, now there's fluid movement. Mm-hmm. But there are, there can be some exploitations within capitalism, and I think that's the good thing. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes of critiques of people, maybe proponents of socialism, of hey, we got to be aware of not exploiting. We yeah. want we want a free society. We want open society. We want capitalism, and and people will be yeah. able to work for themselves and have private property and own things and succeed. But also, let's be aware of the exploitations. And I think uh, throughout history, mm-hmm. because of the democracy, because of of limited government. People have been able to use their voice and vote and and speak up against those exploitations or things that are moving towards exploitation. Mm. Yep. So, mm. any cool. other thoughts? I mean, yes, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think we've but we're only think, human. Yeah, but I think we've covered I think we've covered a lot of ground. So. So if you if you want to dive deeper mm-hmm. into Marxism and the thought process and Lenin Marxism, I say Lenin Marxism because if you look into uh, the founders, specifically Patricia, Patricia uh, Kohler's, uh, she was the protege or basically a disciple of Eric Mann uh, or Mann, uh, and he was a former agitator of the Weather Underground Domestic Terror Organization and spent years absorbing the Marxist-Leninist ideology. Mm-hmm that shaped her worldview. And so Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, was another uh, offshoot of Marxism and kind of created his his variation of Marxism. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I say look into that. You can, three things. I mean, obviously there's probably more, a lot more you could do, but uh, three things. One, you could, there's tons of podcasts. If you have a smartphone or if you have Apple Podcasts or if you have a computer, you can go to Spotify or anywhere or you can find podcasts about Marxism. Um, you can go to Britannica and looks up just search Marxism, or the podcast called Revolutions by Mike Duncan. I think he probably has two or three, maybe even four episodes about Marxism, mm. and there's one specifically called The Three Pillars of Marxism that you could look into, and that's uh, mm. the podcast called Revolutions by Mike Duncan. Mm. So, closing, where we've been. As we started this episode, we reviewed first episode that we have set the premise, the our thesis that as Christians, God does Scripture commands us to be about justice and mercy and compassion and kindness and loving our neighbors, and so we want to, mm-hmm. any way possible, fight for justice. If there is is injustice, if there is racism in our society, we want to address that. Yeah. And we want to openly uh, address that. But we want to also be aware. We mm-hmm. want to have sound judgment and not just jump on things that have appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're trying to explain with the second episode, where we've been and where we're at now and finishing up is... We've seen that we cannot support the correct. capital S, yes. capital J, social justice movement. And we cannot support the Black Lives Matter organization, right? Right. So, because they are many, in many ways antithetical to uh, the teachings of Scripture. So if we hold the teachings of Scripture, if we are believers, and I hope you are, um, then, then we can't support those in our pursuit of justice, right? And so where are we going? So where we're going next episode, we're going to look at some other, define some other terms and mm-hmm. ideas, uh, specifically postmodernism, uh, conflict theory, mm-hmm. Uh, critical theory, and then the big one right now, uh, still in debate, even though it has been outlawed in some states, still big debate be, uh, of critical race theory mm-hmm. and intersectionality. Mm-hmm. What are those? 
uh, and then n- episode after that. So we're at now we're on episode two, and then I think if we if we haven't broken these up into part one and part two, and then uh, three, uh, um, uh, more defining, and then four episode four. Uh, how has it affected the church? How has it influenced the church? Yep. All right. Well, until uh, next week, grace and peace.